right, thank you. Um, I just want to pick up on that very interesting last point that Patrick made. Um, we've left the field. Uh, who is going to do this? Who is going to uh, engage in this ideological warfare? Um, one of the problems, as you all know, is how to embark on such a thing. Um, there's a lot of resistance. I think you need to speak up. Closer to the mic. Uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of resistance. Is that better? Can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay. There's a lot of resistance. Uh, one of the basic lines of resistance is it's an internal Muslim affair, and then we have this sort of reticence that we shouldn't, especially as non-Muslims, we shouldn't engage in this. Uh, among Muslims, too, uh, there is another problem, because there's a hermetically sealed universe that the uh, Islamist radicals are living in, and they can't easily penetrate through that themselves, because what actually happens is that any debates tend to uh, dissipate in endless ayah of uh, Quranic verse and Hadith wars. This is why de-radicalization de initiatives have very mixed results, usually weak results. So what we're, what we're looking for, ideally, uh, if, we, if we can find one, is a neutral debating ground where we, Muslims and uh, non-Muslims alike, uh, are not being wrong-footed. We need so also, we need some way to force the Islamists to bother to undertake the debate in the first place, but obviously they, they feel they don't need to. So um, I'm going to, to possibly, uh, to resolve these concerns, um, come on, uh, bring, bring up a comparative approach, which may be the most effective. That's the comparison between Islamism and the various historical manifestations of totalitarianism. And what I wanted to do here is to uh, explore how some deeper mental mechanisms may allow us a point of entry into deconstructing the threat. Uh, now, you're probably aware this has been the subject of some controversy. There have been, um, there's been objections to the idea that you, in the same paragraph you might mention the word Islam or Islamism and a word such as fascism. It's been a, a very thorny issue. I personally have experienced some rather rough rides when I brought up the, the subject in the same paragraph, but I think we have to, um, you know, uh, take courage and just push push on on this. Um, a question of observing the uh, common mental uh, trajectory. The key to, to all of this is is to try and, and find the common ground, uh, and the way it's useful is that it argues by using the terms of reference of the extremists themselves, uh, the uniqueness of their model the divine origin that they claim for their ideology and the uniqueness of the political applications of this. So we want to put question marks uh, to this point that Patrick uh, importantly flagged up, the authenticity preoccupation. How, how solidly founded is that authenticity? Why, just to recap, why is authenticity important? Well, military reverses can always be brushed aside, and they often do, um, by saying, well, it's a long-term struggle, it's not something which uh, a defeat on the, ba on the battlefield makes no particular difference here or there. But ideological justification cannot brook defeat at any point, not at any second. And a basic building block for that is the resilience that comes from authenticity. Um, it's the key. It's their moral authority, it's their yardstick for determining what is true and counterfeit Islam and why they should be listening to anyone in the first place. Uh, it's based, as Patrick mentioned, on the words and deeds of the, uh, the p virtuous predecessors, the Salaf al-Salihun, or the Salaf al-Salih. And the reason why that's important is that they are the pattern to be emulated, they are the authentic pattern, because they predate the compromises made in Islamic medieval and modern history with grubby compromises of mundane power. So they keep a nice uh, purity to them, and it's, it's a very handy way of maintaining an authenticity. 
And Salafia, the Salafist groups, are, uh, are the, the, the intellectual cradle in which groups such as Al-Qaeda, who call themselves uh, jihadi Salafists, that's the intellectual cradle that they, that they are born in. So it allows us to, um, it allows them to justify their, their, uh, their position because they're commanded, for instance, to imitate the Prophet. And the Prophet, of course, was fighting a jihad, so QED. Um, following the, the precedent as outlined in, in the text, the Hadith and the Sirah literature, the biography literature, means that um, they are more authoritative than other Muslims. And finally, um, they don't therefore have to worry about what uh, uh, scholars will say because they're collaborators, they've been got at by the world system, so who are they to talk, about, talk to us anyway? That's, that's the problem we're, we're faced with. So what is it that could damage this claim to authenticity? And the only thing that I can think of is uh, the basic no-no, which is behaving like the infidel. <coughs> so the, the aim of the comparative approach is to, to demonstrate that. Uh, it, that therefore their ideology does not, despite their claim, represent a pure and mingled standalone truth, but is a typical product of a broader spectrum of an all too human speculation. So, um, if you, if you know, we've all we've all had some experience um, uh, on on Islamism and the ideology. We know the names, people like Sayyid Qutb. What do we what do we pick up from these? We pick up some basic points, such as a disengagement from contemporary culture and social relations, the promotion of a single supreme ideology as a universal explanation, the goal of transforming not only the political and social order but the very intellect of the individual. Um, the promotion of communal over individual rights and the gradation of rights based on loyalty to a belief system uh, and the vehement opposition to democracy, pluralism, liberal thought, etc. Now, of course, a lot of us here will find these things, as Westerners, will find these things interestingly familiar uh, from our own historical experience. And there are, in fact, many who would, um, who would uh, begin to point out that th there are areas which you can make a parallel with. And these are the areas I'm, I'm referring to. Ju now, I'm just going to, obviously, in the time allowed, pick a few illustrative points. Um, for instance, the crisis is important, the crisis of the contemporary world. This is a very common feature of totalitarian ideology. Uh, it's always a response to some form of um, failed values of the liberal society, a society which is disastrously atomized, pluralistic, and purposeless. Um, now, to remedy this crisis uh, entails more than reform. It means a total abolition of the, uh, of the failed system. And uh, I think you were, were familiar with the phrase from uh, Said Qutb, who argues that uh, mankind is on the edge of an abyss. And so and his work, Milestones, features this in detail. Marxism-Leninism also taught that human nature must be transformed in order to pave the way for a glorious this-worldly paradise. Very interesting terminology. And this is the feature that gave it an air of, uh, of pseudo-religiosity. And the fact that uh, there was a religious dimension to politics was, was openly claimed by totalitarian leaders. I mean, I mean Benito Mussolini said, uh, il fascismo è una concezione religiosa. Fascism is a religious concept. And he didn't mean that in any sense of, of, a, of a metaphor. So in, in this type of sacralized society, all systems that accommodate the diversity of individual will must be repudiated, because that's a selfish element. So they're now going to have to live in a collective identity, 
uh, an, uh, an indivisible one that link links you all together in one, one group. And he defined, Mussolini defined this as where the state would function as one organic whole consisting of interrelated parts that possess value only as they worked towards a whole. So it's not a, not a society of individuals, it's individuals building up a collective whole. And, and of course, the interesting point is that uh, Said Kutub down below uh, mirrors this conception almost to the, to the letter. The thing is, of course, is that the, um, the Islamists have an extra advantage because they can add a uh, they can add the divinity to the to the argument, um, because democracy is an expression of positivist law, and therefore it must be a direct negation of religious truth. So the concept of legislation by the voice of the people is now a, a false a false religion, a false competing re religion. And the ultimate uh, villain is this, what they call, what Al-Qutub called Al-Fisam al-Nakid, this hideous schizophrenia. This is the, this is the disastrous trajectory which the, the Christianity took, according to Said Qutub, by separating Deen Wadala, separating the faith from the state. Now, the interesting point about this, and where it impacts on our authenticity, is that Said Qutub generally thought that this was unique to Islam, that this comprehensiveness was, was, was something which guarantees the, the authenticity of their, of their program. But it's actually an illusion. National socialists in Germany, Leninists, shared the same disdain for the separation of the public and the private lives uh, as like a, a hallmark of, of, the, of the liberalism which they, they, they despised. They argued just as vehemently for uh, their systems being complete ways of life, which enters into every area of human activity. For Hitler, he uh, used the term Gleichschaltung, which is the coordination of every possible aspect of life in Germany for the purpose of eliminating this individualism. And here, the radical Islamist Maududi actually made this uh, comparison quite explicit. Now, when we focus on uh, comparison between Islamism and fascist totalitarianism, we see uh, some more, some closer parallels. Uh, you see, uh, just to take up a few points of this, um, take authenticity, um, it's the key element, as I mentioned, and the fundamental element of this is to have the restoration of a lost vigour. Something has gone wrong in history, something has been lost. Where for the Italians, it meant restoring the ancient Roman vigour. In, in Germany, it meant the re-Aryanisation of European civilization. For the Islamists, it's the restoration of as Patrick mentioned, the community of the early Muslims. And by doing this, they will retrieve God's favor and they'll get that winning formula back. The winning formula which, which, which led the Muslims to conquer the world, reproduce that, and we're back on a roll again. Now against this, there are of course the evil machinations of the constant enemy. Um, it's, uh, we're all very familiar with the idea of the, of the, conspirator, the conspirator against all the totalitarian systems. Um, but in fact, in the case of uh, Islamism, the, the matrix is very highly developed, as you can see. Top of the list being Jews, as you can see. Uh, but the parallels um, uh, are much, much deeper than that, uh, because they also reflect the idea of the internal enemy. Jews were useful in the German system for, uh, because they lived both inside and outside the, the country, but for the Islamists, their, their uh, I should say, their eternal Jew is the... Um, is, is the, uh, I would say, the eternal conspirator of the, of the Muslim. Here you have an example of it. This is the, 
uh, Al-Qaeda al-Nedo website, affiliated to Al-Qaeda, uh, detailing where the real threats lie. They don't really, again, Jews are, 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 are taken as red, but uh, it, the real threat comes from the secularizing Muslims. Now we have also the um, the issue of the hero and the permanence of the struggle. This is an interesting element. This is a very important feature of fascism. Um, Mussolini, as, as it says, mentions that fascism is something which repudiates uh, pacif pacifism as such, because the, the life is lived for the struggle. And you can see how uh, how the uh, the Islamists reflect this quite quite closely. Especially the interesting quote, quote at the bottom here: "For this reason, the Muslim is alive." The whole identity for a Muslim is to fight, according to the Islamist ideology. Um, the Aviga Kafir, the eternal infidel, this underlines again the authenticity principle. We are dealing with something which is, they're, they're, they're focusing on an eternal conflict, and they're the only people who, who have the authentic formula to co combat it. And this is the interesting point because in fascism, there was always there was always a problem in reconciling the contradiction between an eternal struggle and an ultimate Armageddon conflagration. It was never able to be, be clarified. But the Islamists have done this, uh, and they've done it because they can go a stage further. They uh, they do it because it's it's yes it's for a worldly gain. It's to, it's to create a a worldly uh, uh, kingdom. But it's also a cosmic struggle at the same time. It's existed forever, and it will continue exist, to exist. The bottom quote is, is from Said Imam. Um, he has sort of repudiated jihad, but only tactically. It's still, that's still his, his, uh, his fundamental viewpoint on that. Right, now we come to um, an important point, because it's quite easy for those who hear that argument to say, well, no, hang on, Islamism is a religion. It's not a, it's not a political ideology. Uh, and also, it's pretty unfair for you to be focusing on Islam like this. So let's, um, let's deal with that one and knock that one on the head. Here we have an example of uh, clerical fascism. This is uh, uh, types of Christian groups in the 1930s that combine traditional theologies with a totalitarian ideology. Uh, they are various cases, various shades of, of um, collaboration with fascistic regimes. Um, the problem, the slight problem here, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a brilliant example. The Croatian one is, is, is a more extreme example, but you could argue that these were really cases of very conservative religious groups that se seem to have absorbed the political ideology of fascism of its time. So it doesn't quite uh, um, make the grade. This one does. This is the. Uh, the uh, Legion of the Archangel Michael, um, the Iron Guard, these people constructed their fascistic system from the ground up, steeped in the language of Orthodox Christianity. Um, oh dear, can you see, can you see the, the, is it visible? I'll read it out if you can't uh, see it. Rejection, oh, it's, it's gone to the next one. Um, the interesting point about the Iron Guard is that these, these you can see the elements of the way they speak. This is their religious, the religious ideology, but look at the fascistic nature of, of the terminology and how, the, and how they express themselves. But this was not merely imported from fascism. This was built from the ground up. 
very, very interesting example. Here we have uh, fascist Germany, uh, where they, there was a movement called Positivus Christentum, which is positive Christianity. And you can see the same things are happening again. You have a, a, a renewal, very important to pick up on the vocabulary here. Renewal towards an authentic Christianity, uh, remodeled as an Aryan, and then remodeled into, into a new form of, of, a, of a, a new type of birth. This is its modern form in positive Christianity in the United States. Um, I've quite um, wickedly put the Arabic terminology to see how, how these things uh, relate to each other. Dean Wadawla, no separation of church and state. Nonsense of separation of that. Democratia Dean. Democracy is a, f is a religion. Again, this idea that it's, it's not just a, a political system, it's a comp competition against God. So all these agnostics and atheists, they are forming a common rival to the faith. Tawhid al-Hakimiyah, uh, the idea that there's only be one form, there can only be a, a rule by God, a form of theocracy. Uh, that's when the Holy Spirit is allowed to flow into the office of government. Al-Ta'if al-Mansura, I'm, I'm picking obviously these jihadist terms because they, they fit very closely, very snugly, the victorious domin domin denomination, and you define it by looking at scripture, you can find anything you wish. Uh, Knights under the banner, that should uh, you know, uh, stir a few memories. Uh, and you have the God of power and, and authenticity. So you can see how the same, uh, you, you've got this fascistization of, of religious belief and you can fit it into this, uh, into this scheme. Um, it, under this system, when the kingdom comes, there's no more separation of church and state. The modern heresy of democracy is, is abolished and society is organized on biblical lines. Now, just to cover our bases here fully, it's possible that critics will then say, yes, but you know, this is fascistic influence religion. This is not really the real deal. So we can move now perhaps to a third level. And this is the example of European Christian movements of the late medieval and early modern period. This is now politicized faith. This starts as faith, even more than the Iron Guard. This is something which is it's constructed molecularly, bit by bit, from the text. At this time, there appeared a group of uh, Christian believers who erected what has been termed the, the, the first European fascistic system. So a hot, now, we're, now we're entering in a different mental universe from the one we're familiar with, but it's Western, it's native to us, it's Christian. But it is, there are some interesting fami uh, uh, familiar points. You can push the comparison a bit too far because th these, these are not statistically significant. But uh, compared to Islamists, but if you go into this area, you, you find that there's a similar trajectory of development. Um, the Anabaptists, for instance, they were a, a group of, um, uh, of reformers seeking uh, Christian reference points in a process of sacralizing uh, politics. Uh, it was a pietistic movement, but it did involve a, a breakaway uh, violent political expression. And this document is, is I've just picked one of them, there are many, but it sort of forms almost like a, a manifesto. And you can see the, the language is beginning to become familiar. The community of God, the idea of martyrdom, self-sacrifice, blood, and, and you, can see, you can see how it soon becomes uh, associated with violence, uh, bit by bit. You even have hijra, we even have the idea of migration away from the evil world, which is the Islamist system, and uh, this is the heavenly Jerusalem they're going to build. Um, and, uh, and you can see that what they're doing, it's the same type of vocabulary, the same type of language you'll find. In their particular case, the um, Mecca Medina is uh, not in the right, Strasbourg, and then it moves up to Munster. Munster. So the monasterium, Munster, sorry, is the, um, 
is the, is the beginning of the new Jerusalem from which they will expand. Same thing's happening again, repudiation of secular systems. Anybody who studies uh, what the Islamists believe in uh, noticed that the, the very important element is to, is to disassociate from any um, office or function which has anything to do with the uh, evil secular systems. You've got a similar type of, of language there. You even have al-wala wal You even have this idea of, of, of disassociating yourself from, from the, the non-believer, uh, to separate themselves from the wickedness because of the fear of contamination. Uh, again, I am slightly forcing this comparison because um, the, this is not a, st a statistically significant group, but you can see that the trajectory of thinking is, is uh, analogous. Here you can, uh, you can see what the basic uh, building blocks of the, of, of the system is. If you make the, the mutatis mutandis, if you, if, you, if you change the vocabulary, you will sort of uh, uh, get, get to the same type of thinking. I'll just whiz through a few more. There is a, a, an effective sort of manifesto. Uh, Jan Mathis was, was the, um, the Bin Laden type figure uh, who was less ideological and more uh, focused on, on violence. And I wanted to compare it with the uh, Johaiman al-Otabi, the, the chap who was involved in the Mecca siege. Um, admittedly, Mr. Otabi was, uh, it's proto-jihadism in the modern sense because it, it has a doctrine of the Mahdi, which, which jihadism doesn't have. But uh, looking at his uh, Rasat al-Sabat, the, the seven letters that, that of the manifesto of demands made to the Saudi government at the time, uh, you, it's very little, uh, very little you need to do to adjust the vocabulary. And you can see how, it's, how it follows the same lines. And most amazingly, for certainly a Christian group, you have the open espousal of violence uh, uh, in the cause of, of, the, of the New Jerusalem and new, new community. Effectively then, in the Anabaptists, you can more or less, uh, without too much t uh, wrinkling, uh, determine the, 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 the structures and the, the starting points of, of, of present-day jihadism, because all of these things can be found and reflected. Different de degrees of emphasis, but they're there in any case. Takfir, al-Wala'l-Para, al-Hijra, and even the program for world domination. That was a little bit of a pipe dream, because it's, it was going to start from the city of Munster and build outwards, but the idea was there. So, um, summary. We can make a comparison on three levels. First of all, uh, with the sacralized political totalitarianisms, uh, we, you know, we listed the crisis of the contemporary world, a global universalist cause, palingenesis, that sort of rebirth of a, of a new man and a new anthropological re revolution, the sacralization of the community, and importantly, the lack of separation between the public and private. Collective uh, rights, Trump individual rights, that's, uh, that's a matter of course. With, with fascism, of course, you, um, we had the important elements of the authenticity, the cult of tradition, the conspiracy obsession, and the hero and the permanence, the constant fight, the constant struggle. On a second level, we saw how religious belief has been meshed historically with the ideology of fascism through that process of, uh, of sacralizing politics. 
And on the third level, we saw uh, a, a very uh, pure case, as it were, of the trajectory from piety to militancy building from the ground up. And it's building it via the scriptures, via the scriptures, uh, selectively chosen, of course, uh, and also uh, chosen in order to project an idea that you should re go back to the biblical uh, environment, go back to the biblical text. By doing so, you'll, you'll reconstitute God's grace and you'll be favoured by, by your, in your piety. So therefore, you'll be f physically favoured in this world, not just in the kingdom in the next world to come. Uh, so, I, I, so what I wanted to make clear was um, the, the approach of comparative totalitarianism uh, and comparative fundamentalism as well uh, I think is one of the most powerful tools to fight radicalism that we have. I think, frankly, it's, it's one of the only ones that we can engage in ourselves from where we start without having to first, to ha first of all have a, a, an elaborate training in Islamic law. So it's a very, very important um, a starting point for us. Um, why it does this? Because it resolves this problem. Uh, these spurious arguments, for instance, that it's not our business to get involved. Uh, or it's an internal discussion. Um, we, we do have the right to do it because we're not talking about Islam, we're talking about ourselves, we're talking about our own historical experience. And all we're saying is, why don't you tell us why this is, not, why this is dissimilar? Uh, also, it makes sure that there is a case for a debate to be held in the first place. If it can be conclusively proved that the ideology of the Islamists demonstrates identical patterns of thought to man-made infidel political systems, uh, then, well, it, to me, it certainly means that the claim to divine sanction uh, is severely, if not terminally, compromised. The creator, frankly, should be able to bring something new to the table than what some 20th century tawdry uh, totalitarians could come up with. They're forced onto a neutral ground. This is very, very difficult to find. If you, if you keep trying to argue with them in a textual universe, you're going to lose uh, because they are uh, eminently sort of detached from you. Uh, whereas now, they have to d d uh, debate in an area where we at least are at least the authority. Uh, so we don't have to defer on that, on that front. Um, and the discussion can just as well, even if, even if there's resistance to engage in it, we can, we can start this discussion unilaterally. Because if we start this discourse, that, by the way, it seems to be very totalitarian, it seems to be very fascistic, and if we do it with confidence and stop, and stop worrying about being shouted down by somehow politically incorrect type of language, if we do it with confidence and we establish what it is we're talking about, we're talking about intellectual mechanisms, we're not talking about jackboots, we're not talking about nation states, we're not talking about race theories, uh, we then we find that we are able to force this debate to take place. Uh, and finally, it, it, it means that we can engage in this debate without having to be at a disadvantage of being on a wrong-footed, whether we are Muslim or non-Muslim, if we're being wrong-footed by, by the texture at all, because the, at least the problem with, as Patrick was saying, at least the problem with, the, the, uh, with Islam is that the texts, um, they are so numerous that you can really just drown in a, in a sea of hadith and, and Quranic war, uh, uh, verse wars. So, uh, and they do feel, this is the era where the Islamists feel the most confident in the, in the realm of the text. So if we force them out of this logosphere, we force them out of this, 
this, this, this, this world of the word, um, they are then uh, they are, they are vulnerable to attack and they're vulnerable to losing the argument. It means that they, they must examine mindsets and motivations in place of what is a lazy moral abdication to the letter of the text. They now have to deal with, it with, with another way of thinking. And actually, that is usually uh, the death knell. Mansour Nagaydan, by the way, uh, but the, the example that Patrick gave, um, speaks of the way that he w uh, lost his jihadism because he found himself reading uh, works on the nature of thought uh, and the history of thought and how, uh, and how this was out, uh, reading works which were penned by Arab authors outside the textual tradition. And it, it was a killer to his, to his self-contained mental universe. So, to, just to conclude, uh, it's obviously, uh, this sort of thing can't fully explain the phenomenon, nothing can. Uh, but it's very interesting to be able to highlight these, these common intellectual trajectories that are shared with amongst the Abrahamic faiths. Because it, by, by sharing something in, in an Abrahamic system, you're already on some sort of familiar ground with them. It serves to illustrate how religious and spiritual principles can interweave with the worldly and the political. It can be done. It's not, a, it's, it, it's not something which is unique to Islam. We can see how the sacred and the profaned can be profaned, and the profaned can be sacralized and how a dissident sectarianism can easily slip into a murderous uh, political extremism. Now again, just, just to, uh, the key word again, authenticity. In a system which strenuously, strenuously defines itself as authentic, uniquely Islamic, and divinely sanctioned, a comparison like this demolishes these pretensions because it demonstrates that most of the core features, not just the fringe features, most of the core features of Islamism, and of course militant jihadism, are manifestations of a commonly found deviation. And this commonality, I would argue, deprives the uh, Islamists all of their authority, deprives them of their justification and their cause. Thank you.